The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, November 2nd, 2020. The woman in your life will do what she must do to comfort you and calm you down and let you rest now. The woman in your life, she can rest so easily. She does everything you do because the woman in your life is you. Women's Spaces, my name is Elaine B. Holt and I'm your host. And with me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and my co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Oh, my goodness. One day before elections. I can't wait. I can't wait till this is over. And what a sad thing I heard at the the show before me on uh, Democracy Now! that somehow a white pickup truck uh, banged into uh, candidate uh, Vice President Joe Biden's truck. You know, I just don't understand what is happening with people. We live in a democracy. In democracies, we have elections, and elections have different ideas and different people that run, and you just run, you just vote for who you believe is going to do the best job for you. Why does somebody have to come out and bang up a bus like that? How dangerous that is. I mean, let's start thinking about this, folks. You know, we're all in this together. We don't live in two planets. We live in one planet right here on planet Earth, and we have to make it work together. And actions and activities like that are definitely not helping it work. And it's very interesting because today I have a very special guest with me. Uh, joining me on the phone will be Astrid Harper, a freelance copywriter and translator. And today we're going to talk about her, her new book, From Hitler to Trump. It was just published by Makea Books. You know, in light of what is happening in the world today and the up and coming election, I thought this would be of great interest to know what it was like during the time in Nazi Germany when Hitler took over. You know, uh, Astrid was born uh, on the night of uh, Kristallnacht, which is uh, a horrible time. It was, uh, it's called Kristallnacht, and it was called the Night of Broken Glass, and it's also called the November Pogrom. It was a pogrom against the Jewish people carried on by the SA parliamentary forces and civilians throughout Nazi Germany on the 10th of November, 1938. I mean, can you imagine something like that? Jewish homes, hospitals, and schools were ransacked as attackers, as attackers demolished buildings with sledgehammers. They destroyed 267 synagogues throughout Germany, Austria, and Sudderland. Over 7,000 Jewish businesses were damaged or destroyed, and 30,000 Jewish men were arrested and incarcerated in concentration camps. What a horror that was. I mean, when you listen to hear someone banging a bus, into a, a truck, a pickup truck into a candidate's bus, you know, it kind of gives you that feeling like, what is going on? I mean, what, what kind of characters are out there trying to destroy our democracy? So it's very important that we think about these things and we become aware of these things. And, you know, there's no savior. That, that is one thing that I have found. You know, if, Joy, if Joe Biden gets in, I mean, that seems to be the feeling of the country. It doesn't mean we're going to have to stop. If Donald Trump gets, gets in, it doesn't mean we're going to have to stop. We have to continue. Democracy takes work. You know, the first line in our Constitution, 
is we the people. We the people. That means we the people must stand up and must say no, no to these acts of violence. Anyway, on a more cheerful note, (laughs) I want to send out a special, special, special to a very special young woman. Happy birthday to Haven Celeste Rogers, who just turned 18. Wow, 18 years old. My goodness, I would love to be 18 again. Anyway, happy birthday, Haven, and we have a special song for you. Go ahead, Ken. Happy birthday, Haven, and I wish you a wonderful, wonderful year and a life filled with good health, peace of mind, wonderful relationships, and continued prosperity. Happy birthday. You're a very, very special young woman, and being 18 is a very, very special time. And you know, you're a Scorpio, and you're in good company, because I want to just tell you something. I'm wishing somebody else a happy birthday. On November 2nd, 1936, and she made her transition in 1999, was Rose Elizabeth Byrd, an attorney, the first woman in California to hold a cabinet position. She was the Secretary of Agriculture, allowed workers to unionize, appointed Chief Justice then she was appointed Chief Justice of the California Supreme Court in 1977. And later on, she was defeated by some conservatives because she opposed. She, they took her off the California, so they defeated her off the California uh, Supreme Court because she opposed the death penalty. Exactly what women are supposed to do, oppose any form of death. You know, we were brought to, we were given the, the, the privilege by the creator to bring children forth in the world. We are the bearers of life. Of course we're going to be against the uh, death penalty. But this is so interesting. So happy birthday to Rose Elizabeth Bird. And then on November 2nd today, well, that was it. She was November 2nd. That's exactly what she did. And I want to just say our our history is our strength. And when you listen and hear about women like this, it is very, very exciting. Well, tomorrow is November 3rd, and we're all going to be going to the polls, or if we haven't already uh, submitted our ballots. I know Ken and I went directly to the voter registrations office, and we uh, put our our ballot in. And, you know, it's really amazing. I am so grateful to be living in this county because it just feels like election time. It feels like it's a, a easy road. We went to the uh, voter registration and we dropped off our ballots. People were real friendly and Ken had to make a change and they, they helped him very, very efficiently. And it just gave me a good, good sense of knowing that I'm living in a county that really cares. So a shout out to our voter registrar who is Diva and uh, Pro, how do we pronounce your last name, Ken? Diva Pro, 
know. Well, I forgot how to, excuse me, Diva, but Diva is just an amazing young woman and is doing an amazing job. And let me just give people a little bit of background because I have worked the polls, so I kind of understand how it works. Now, if you have your mail-in ballot, Okay, and you go to the polls and you drop it off. There's a chance that it may not be counted immediately because they have 30 days to declare everything. So my suggestion to you is if you still have your mail-in ballot and you have not mailed it in, drop it off at the voter registrator's office. And that's on uh, Fiscal Drive here in Sonoma County. All you have to do is look it up on the Internet, Sonoma County Voter Registrar. There's all the information, the address, and all the things that you need to know. But it's important, if you still have your ballot, drop it off there if you can. It's very, very important. Well, we're going to take a musical break now before I have uh, Astrid come on. And... I'll tell you, it, this is, this has been a, this is a real, a real challenging time. And, and Astrid wrote a very challenging book. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of good information about what happened in Germany and what happened to her. But, you know, I was thinking about it. yesterday was Halloween and it, it just, or rather, uh, yeah, yesterday was, was it Sunday that was Halloween or was it Saturday? Saturday was Halloween and, all the different creative ways people uh, celebrated. You know, they had drive. They had drive-through uh, trick or treats. I know my family had a small gathering. But you know, one of the things that happened is that while we were at the family gathering, we noticed that some people were a little bit careless with their masks. And I want to remind people that our county, right here, has sent out some protocol. And one of the things they are saying is, without a doubt, when you have small family gatherings, and they kind of they. No people are going to gather with their families, but they are still suggesting that when you're with your family, that you wear your mask, you wash your hands, and you practice social distancing. And I, you know, and it's really interesting because family is is very close. You know, you want to hug your family, you want to be close. But I can't get out of my mind what Governor Christie said from I believe he's from uh, I believe it's Wisconsin, New and, Jersey, New Jersey. Uh, uh, Governor Christie said from New Jersey, thank you, Ken. Oh, it's so wonderful to have Ken here. I'll tell you something. Thank you so much, my love. One of the things that Governor Christie said was that he was adamant for seven months because he's asthmatic. And he said everywhere he went, he wore a mask, he took care of himself, and he made sure, he made sure that he was practicing social distancing because he was nervous. You know, he has asthma. I mean, I was in the hospital in 2010, and I know what it feels like to have that damn thing down your throat. I mean, it does not feel good. It feels horrible. And so he was very, very aware because of the asthma that he had to be extra careful. Well, he goes to this party at the at the White House when they're introducing the woman that they were uh, going to put on the Supreme Court. And they assured him everybody was tested. They assured him everything was okay. They said it's all going to be outside, that he doesn't have to worry about it. So he didn't wear a mask. So guess what? And this is his exact words. I left my guard down, and I ended up seven days in ICU. And I want to tell you, folks, when I saw him make that announcement, he looked pretty ragged. He even lost a lot of weight. I mean, that might be a plus side for him. But he said it so clearly. I let my guard down. 
In other words, he didn't wear a mask. He didn't practice social distancing. I left my guard down, and I ended up seven days in ICU. That's a governor of a state saying that. If that is not enough for people to understand the importance of wearing masks and social distancing, I don't know what else there is to say. So I want to thank Governor Christie for being so honest about what happened to him, and I wish him a speedy, speedy recovery. In fact, I got a whole new feeling for him when he was when he did that, because he let folks know the importance of protecting yourself, because when you protect yourself, you protect others. It's a two-way street here. But he also mentioned the consequences of what happened when he left his guard down. So please, be safe. So there's three rules. Wear a mask, social distancing, and wash your hands. And avoid, if you can, close gatherings. So it's very important that we are aware of that, not just for ourselves, actually, but for everybody. I mean, it's on the rise. I mean, we have to recognize that. We have to, we have to realize this is reality. And you have to do what is necessary to protect yourself, to protect your friends, to protect your family, and above all, to protect the most vulnerable in our society. Well, it's a lot to think about. And now let's really get depressed. We'll listen to a very interesting song. So because I'm bringing on Astrid Harper, like I said, she's a uh, she wrote this book called From uh, From Hitler to Trump, which is it, it's a little bit misleading because what it really is about is about the journey that people went on during these war times and how they were able to evolve and how they were able to come forward and how and how they were able to come to the beacon, the beacon. The United States of America. The United States of America was like, it was like gold to everybody in Europe. And what an honor it was to come here. And what a, what a blessing it was to be able to survive here. So it's very important that we kind of listen to her story because it'll give us a feeling. And we're all in this together. Come on. We're all in this together, guys. So I'm going to play a song called By My Silence. And it's going to be sung by Sonia and Disappear Fear. I love that name. Sonia and Disappear Fear. And this song was originally written by Ellen Booksdale, a dear friend of mine, which I play, but I just thought, I just thought it would be wonderful just to play it by somebody different. And you know, a little history about this song. The history, the song is written in memory of Martin Niemöller, who was born in 1892 and made his transition in 1984. He was a prominent Luther pastor in Germany. He emerged as an outspoken public foe of Adolf Hitler and spent the last seven years of Nazi rule in concentration camps. He is perhaps best remembered for his po- his post-war words. It is interesting because Niemöller first welcomed Hitler. In other words, he first was a supporter and then ended up seeing the light of what this gentleman was doing, and then he himself ends up in a concentration camp. So these are the words that he is famous for, and this is what the song is kind of uh, alluding to and sings about. Here we go. First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out, because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out, because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. 
Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Listen to this line. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Think about that one. You know what I think about? I think about those children that were taken away from their parents at the border. That's what, that's what I think. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out for me. Well, I wonder, you mean there's no one left? Uh-uh, I don't think so. I think there's a lot of people speaking out. But it's very important. I'm going to read it one more time. First, they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Very powerful words and a lot to think about. So let's go ahead and let's listen to the song by My Silence, sung by Sonia and Disappear Fear. And when we come back, I will be talking with Astrid Harper, a freelance copywriter and translator. And today we're going to talk about her book, From Hitler to Trump, which was just published by Macaw Books. One, two... Communist, so when they came for the communists, I held my tongue. Like a good neighbor, I minded my own business and trusted justice was done. I didn't ask what was their crime, it was their sadness, it was not mine. I didn't care where they were sent, but my silence gave my consent. By my silence, I gave my consent. I'm not Jewish, so when they came for the Jews, I had nothing to say. Branded with stars, herded like cattle into boxcars, and then taken away. I didn't ask what was their crime, it was their sadness, it was not mine. By my silence, I gave my consent. By my silence, I gave my consent. Your consent 
By your silence you give your consent By my silence you gave my consent Very important words. By my silence, I gave my consent. Very powerful when you think about it. Well, for you folks just joining in, you are listening to KBBF 89.1 FM, Calistoga, Santa Rosa. I want to remind my listeners that the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of KBBF, its board of directors, its members, and women's spaces. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holt. And without further ado, I want to introduce my guest. Joining me on the phone is Astrid Harper, a freelance copywriter and translator. And today we're going to talk about her book, From Hitler to Trump. Astrid Harper, welcome to Women's Spaces. Thank you, Elaine, and thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm, I'm just delighted. I mean, this is such a, an important subject and important conversation that we're going to have, and I really appreciate you, uh, your willingness to be on and to talk about this very important book. Before we begin, uh, do you mind if I tell my listeners just a little bit about you? Not at all. Astrid Harper was born in 1938 in Germany. Uh, she immigrated to the U.S. in 1960 and became a naturalized citizen in 1967. Congratulations. She has lived in New York, San Francisco, Long Beach, California, Windsor, and now Santa Rosa. Most of her career was spent in marketing and advertising. She has also developed significant, uh, significant export uh, business for several employers. Astrid continues to work as a freelance copywriter and translator on the Upwork platform where she is top rated. She also works now as a book editor for Macau Books of Santa Rosa and her memoir entitled From Hitler to Trump was published by McKay Books and is available now on Amazon. And from what I understand, it started out just to be a memoir and that all of a sudden it turned out now it's a published book. So congratulations, Astrid. Would you like to add anything else to what I've said? No, that's about who I am. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad we hit the nail on the head then. Well, anyway, let's start out just a little bit. You know, we're going to talk about the book and talk about what motivated you and what inspired you uh, with the tri- uh, about the title, why you wrote that title. And also, if you could go into a little bit about when you were first born uh, in 1938, there was a, a, an event that happened called Kristallnacht and how that affected your family and la- how you found out about it personally. Yes, 1938 was when the Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, um, took place in Germany. And that event had been in the making for about five years, ever since Hitler was um, elected chancellor in 1933. So through rhetoric against the other, um, that finally broke out. Now, I don't, I, that was the year of my birth, so I don't know how that event affected my family, but um, I can tell you, as I started growing up, becoming more aware of my surroundings, I know where, I, I knew, I felt where my parents were with Hitler. Like, my mother 
seemed to be quite enamored with him. She would listen to all of his speeches that he screamed into the microphone, constantly interrupted by rah-rahs and applause and Heil Hitler and God knows what all. I did not understand much of what he was saying, except the word der Feind, der Feind, der Feind, which means the enemy. At that point, I didn't know what an enemy was, but I sensed that it was something fearsome. And one night I had a horrible nightmare about the find. My dad was, he took Hitler with a grain of salt. My dad wanted to know what was really going on. And so when he was home, he was, of course, in the army. He was a musician. And when he was home on leave, he would do this funny thing. He would lie down on the floor with the radio and pull this big feather comforter over him and listen to the radio. And I would ask my mother, what is he doing? Well, he is listening to BBC London. And, of course, that is not permitted. You can get shot for doing that. So do not breathe a word to anyone. Oh, my God. So, and of course, I didn't read a word to anyone. But you wanted to know what inspired me to write this. And this has been rattling around in my brain for almost 20 years. And I finally got started during the Obama administration. And my working title was From Hitler to Obama. Very different sort of a book. And then in 2016... When it looked like Hillary Clinton was going to win the election, I changed my working title to From Hitler to Hillary. (laughs) And that had a certain ring to it, still a different book. But then, of course, we all knew what happened on Election Day 2016. And my final title became From Hitler to Trump. And the book took on a whole different meaning wow what a what a journey just to just all these different things that are coming up and giving you you know giving you um all these different ideas but i want to go back just a little bit before we go into the book and into some of the other things is at what point did you become aware i mean you said that you know when you're talking about your father putting the blanket over your head and all those different things how how old do you how old do you think you were at that time and also i understand you had a favorite uncle that really influenced you. When we read the book, we found out that there was a fra- uh, an uncle that died on the Russian front, and that was a great influence on you. Can you talk a little bit about that impact? Uh, yes. I, I was not quite three when he fell. And what happened is, of course, my father was off in the war, so it's my mother and me in the apartment, and a letter arrives. She opens the letter, and she starts screaming, and railing against the Russians, the Russians, how I hate the Russians. And, of course, I didn't know what was going on. But I did ask her, and at almost three, I had, you know, a pretty mature mind already. And she told me, and I was very, very sad, because I remembered my uncle Eberhardt. He was my mother's brother, younger brother, And he had a brilliant mind. Uh, And where that came from, nobody knew, because his parents were from very, very simple backgrounds with not much education. 
Eberhard wanted to go either into physics or chemistry, and he was about to enter university. He had a dispensation from the military, which didn't happen very often, but they did not want to waste him as cannon fodder. So um, here he was, all his buddies are in the war fighting for Führer and Fatherland, and he felt like a shirker. So he volunteered, was posted to the Russian front, and literally three weeks later he fell there. Mm-hmm. And that was my and my mother's, you know, first real experience of a deep loss. But you know what's very interesting about it is is that he died because he was fighting for Germany. And yeah. yet and yet nobody sees that 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 portion and then you blame the russians killed him well of course he, he, they were there that the russians didn't want him there you know and of course they're going to fight him and it was a terrible terrible war from what i can understand yeah. but it, it's interesting how i mean when we when we get this sense of propaganda or how people are feeling especially around their own country and what is going on well at that time at that time, you know, and as you got older, because the war ended, I believe, in 1944. In 1945. 1945. So you were, you were about seven years old at that time. Yeah, I was almost seven. Yeah, what do you remember about that time? Do you remember how were people coping? I mean, all of a sudden, you know, there you, there it was, it was over. And now people had to, had to work and had to face the consequences and the damage that happened. Well, not only, um, I want to step back a little further because before the war was over, we were under constant bombardment because we were living close to the big city of Berlin, which was a major target for all the Allied bombing raids. And my mother, who was way too young to be a mother and knew, uh, know what her responsibilities were, she would go out at night and amuse herself and uh, leave me alone in the apartment. And I knew what those uh, air raid alarms meant. We're talking about terror here. Sometimes she would make it home and sometimes not. Uh, when an air raid warden would shoo her into the nearest uh, shelter. So those were times of horrendous fear on my part because I knew what all this meant. And before the war ended in '45, our little town was um, a scene like the final scenes from Fiddler on the Roof, endless lines of refugees coming through town on carts and bikes and different things and carrying what they could. And uh, in mid-April, the war in uh, in uh, Europe ended May 8th. And middle of April, my father deserted from the army and came home and told us to pack up and that we had to leave because this would be Russian-occupied. So for the next two weeks, we walked northward to Gustrow, where my maternal grandparents lived. We were going to link up with them first. And that was a horrendous experience because during the entire two weeks of walking, we were constantly strafed by 
allied planes and um i think that oh my I god i just i just need to say something here I, I just can't imagine what that must have been like for a seven-year-old little girl i mean it was horrendous and you had to actually walk how many walk. miles do you don't remember how many miles it was yeah, I think it was about a hundred miles. Took oh. about two weeks. Now these people, these people that were coming forward, were these were these a combination of Germans and Jews that were being left out of the concentration camps, or was this was just just the German people coming from the different towns that they were trying to get away from the from the yeah, horror of the bombs? The German people from the eastern parts, Berlin eastward, who were <coughs> fleeing from the Russians, from the advancing Russians. So, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, when you really think about that time, I mean, the consequence of war, When, as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking of you as a, as a little girl, you know, your mother leaving you alone in the apartment, hearing the airway warden coming, and then, I mean, oh, my goodness, how, I mean, just, I'm just curious, maybe if you remember this, how as a seven-year-old did you, were you what, what kind of mindset, how did you, how were you able to overcome that um, and, and, and just, and keep walking? Um, yeah, actually, once we um, reached my grandparents, my parents had to make a decision. I was at the end of my rope. I was always very skinny and didn't eat much and so on, and they had to make a decision, either keep keep me with them and maybe lose, lose me. A lot of children were dying on the road. Oh, my God. Or leave me with my grandparents. And they figured a small child and a couple of older people maybe were safe under Russian occupation. And so um, it was about the 1st of May. They moved on, and we did not hear from them until October of 45, because everything had collapsed. Postal service, everything had collapsed. And so I witnessed our liberation by the Russians <laughs> and lived in uh, East Germany until February of 46 when I was smuggled across the Iron Curtain. And that was another horrendous experience. Oh, my God. <laughs> when you think about it, when you think about what you were born into and what you had to do to survive, you know, it's just it's just amazing. Well, do, do you have any any memories of of what was it like when the people were walking? I mean, were they were they friendly to each other? Were people sharing or was people just pretty much into their own world just trying to make it? How did it feel like it was supportive or how was it? Once in a while, I would get a ride on a cart or something. You know, they, they knew that I just couldn't walk anymore. So, yes, we were helping one another as best we could. Yeah. Well, Astrid, we're going to take a musical break right now. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the occupation. And then we'll move little by little into the book. And I'm, the song I'm going to play is a song called Sound, Sounds of Silence, and it was sung by Susan, uh, Susan Wong. Originally, it was a Simon and Garfunkel, for, uh, Garfunkel song. And what it was written, actually, uh, when it was written, it was kind of a, 
a personal song of Paul Simon, but it also had to do a lot with the Vietnam War and the protest. Yeah. And so I think it's I think it's really appropriate this song. So let's go ahead and listen to uh, Sounds of Silence sung by Susan Wong. And when we come back, we will continue with our conversation with uh, Astrid Harper, who wrote the book From Hitler to Trump, and we're talking about her experience as a young girl in Nazi Germany and at, at the beginning of the war is when she was born and at the end of the war she was seven years old and what a what a story we're involved with here so let's go ahead can let's play uh sounds of silence sung by susan wong hello darkness my old friend I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seats while I was sleeping And a vision that was planted in my brain Within the sound of silence In restless dreams I walked alone Narrow streets of cobblestone Neath the halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to the cold and damp When my eyes were stared by the flash of a neon light That split the night and touched a sound of silence And in the naked light I saw Ten thousand people, maybe more People talking without speaking People hearing without listening People writing songs That voices never shared No one dared disturb the sound of silence And the people bowed and prayed To the neon god they and the sun flashed out its warning In the words that it was for men And the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls In tenant halls whispered the sound
I love that. The words of the prophets are written on the subway walls. I don't know why that that one line has just always got to me. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm in conversation with Astrid Harper, and we're discussing her book, From Trump to Hitler, and also we've been talking about her experience in Nazi Germany. She was born in 1938, the, the same day that uh, Kristallnacht, which was the set-off to where the, really there was a, just a rampage started in uh, Germany, and, and when the war ended, she was seven years old, and just to be bring you up to date, she was took a hundred mile walk and tried to make it to her grandparents house and now we're back at that point so astrid welcome back are you there yeah i'm here i'm oh, here i'm so you know this is a very um enlightening interview when you you know people people oftentimes glamorize war and glamorize okay. these things and you know listening to your story i mean it's no it's not glamorous for sure no. so you you experience so it sounds like the occupation was the russian occupation that uh, that uh, evolved that you were involved with yes the first 9 months the were, first well actually more than that um yeah about the first 9 months were russian occupation and our um apartment was requisitioned by Russian troops. So we had to move out and try and find shelter with relatives who, you know, didn't have room and didn't have food either. And so, yeah, we felt like beggars going around. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting you say there's no food. You know, people don't realize, you know, we just go to the supermarket. I mean, I remember when we went through the pandemic, you know, and all of a sudden there was no toilet paper and there was no paper towels you know and (laughs) right right. and you know i i want to i want to tell a funny story was during one of the fires uh in i think it was uh the one the big fire the first one we had here in sonoma county uh ken and i were in an evacuation uh area and we had to stay there for a while and finally we looked and we were limited on food and we discovered that uh, one of our supermarkets was open and we go to the supermarket and we get there and all of a sudden they say they're they're only taking cash yeah. So all Ken had was twenty dollars on him, and I went in there. I mean, trying to trying to buy something for twenty dollars was just amazing. I mean, I, it was down to like peanut butter and a loaf of bread, and you know, I mean, a can of soup, and I think a can of uh, ravioli. And then when I get to the line, all of a sudden I see this woman using a credit card, and I said to the, the clerk, I said, "Why is she using a credit card?" She said, "Well, we're we're not taking debit cards; we're taking credit cards." Well, I felt like I was a millionaire all of a sudden. So. Yeah. For that moment, I felt what it was like to not not only were the shelves empty on so many on so many products, but also what it's like not to have money, not to have cash, when you're trying to achieve something like that in a disaster. So that so, kind of gives me that feeling. So imagine rations are minimal, like one loaf of bread and a liter of milk a week for three people. Oh my God. And that was the time when I became intimately acquainted with hunger. And my grandmother did what she could. She and I, we would go um, scrounge through the fields after the harvesters had come through. And for, yeah, for nine months, we ate potatoes, cabbage, and rutabagas. And how I got to hate rutabagas, (laughs) I I still don't eat them. <laughs> well, it reminds me of what my grandmother said during the Depression. She says, Elaine, you would be surprised what you can do to one with one potato. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. very interesting. Well, now you you went through this whole process after you stayed with your grandmother. I imagine you and your family went to other places. Where where else did you after the the? Well, t- my parents ended up right on the west side of the Iron Curtain in a town by the name of Lübeck, and my father knew that. Um, there might be the possibility of another war, this time between the Western Allies and Russia. So he needed to get me out of the Russian occupation uh, zone in Germany. And he pulled uh, strings, and I was um, smuggled across the border in the middle of the night in February of 46. Oh, my goodness. I was deadly afraid of getting shot and I saw the the tower the observation towers in the dark and they were um, twigs uh, making noise under my feet and yeah I I did not expect to survive that but um, yeah we made it across and the man who um, took me across left me at this Quonset hut and he said, you got to go in there. So I'm interviewed by this woman and and um, and I answered her questions as well as I could and finally she leads me down the hallway and there are my parents. Oh, I bet that was a joyous moment. So this was the British occupational zone and my father was working for the British Officers Club and as a musician, it was an accordion case. <laughs> he would haul out food every night, massive food, out of that club in his accordion case, which, you know, saved us. Basically, it saved us because there was so little to eat. Oh, what, you know, you know, I know that we could go on and on and on about what happened at that particular time, but I think that you have painted uh, <laughs> you have painted a picture for us, and it's amazing that you were able to survive. And then, what was the motivation all of a sudden? How old were you, and what was happening at the time when suddenly you decided to go and come to America? Well, it's actually, um, that was my father's idea. He, w- he was working on various ships that made regular trips between Bremerhaven and New York. Ah. And he had met the boss's secretary of Conti Rubber Products, the importer of Continental Tires, and she suggested, well, your daughter speaks English. Oh, she works as, an, as a multilingual secretary. Well, we have a place for her. Have her come, you know, and polish her English and so on and so forth. So, you, so, so it sounds like as you got older, you went to school, you learned English, and you became bilingual on so many levels, and then little by little, all of a sudden, this opportunity came up? Yes, this came up and so my father gave me the idea. His idea was that, oh, she she goes to New York for a year or two and then comes back and cleans up in the old country. But when I left, I knew I wouldn't return. And in fact, I did not return even for a visit for 10 years. How come? Why, why do you think that was? What was what was your idea of not going back? Well, first of all, I never had a good relationship with either one of my parents, and Germany was the place of really ugly memories. I just wanted to be away from it. 
well, away from the war, away from the struggle. I mean, uh, we had a, we had a friend. Uh, Ken and I visited uh, Germany, and we had a friend, um, actually a, a man who ended up marrying a Jewish woman, and it was even even after the war there was still a problem. But yeah. he but he said he said that he did not feel that they were really liberated until the Beatles first came in and, and gave a concert. He felt that that was the turning point for Germany. And and when we were, you know, when we went to Germany, we were really shocked to see how well developed the country was. I mean, I was shocked. I expected to see, you know, it was, but here it was so many years after the war. But they really, uh, their resilience is just amazing to me. Yeah, it took a little bit of time to get the eastern part of Germany built back up. The whole thing, I mean, and, and again, again, just to my listeners, you know, oftentimes we glamorize war. You know, all of a sudden our sons or our daughter go into the military and, you know, we're all excited with the uniforms and everything. And, you know, war, it feels to me, it feels to me like after, the, especially the experience during World War II and then, of course, the Vietnam War and some of the horrors that happened there, they think that war would become obsolete. So what was it like coming to America? I mean, fortunately, like you were able to speak English and you, you were bilingual. What was that like for you? I mean, you were alone, right? You did not come with any of your family. What That's was, right. What, yeah, was, what was that like for you? My, my dad had arranged um, um, an apartment, a room for me with another musician's family. So I stayed there in New York. And I, I lived in New York and worked for Conti Waba Products for about two years and then New York became just too much for me. It was too big, too noisy, too <laughs> hot or too cold and too dirty and <laughs> and the company had a small sales office in San Francisco. Ah, so that's how and you got to California. And that's that's what brought me to California and it was good timing. In late sixty two I inquired um of the manager in uh, San Francisco, you know, just generally what San Francisco like, what 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 is the job situation and apartments and so on. And he said, well, you know, it's funny, my secretary is leaving me as of the first of the year and I'm going to need someone. So in early January 63, I came to San Francisco and I thought I died and gone to heaven. <laughs> Oh, you know, I lived I lived in New York when I was 18 years old till I was about 23. And I'll tell you something, when I came back to California, I said, "Boy, you know, I realized when I was in New York, people would say, "You're from California? What the heck are you doing here?" You know? Yeah, really. <laughs> and it's it and not to say anything negative about New York, but it's not California. I mean, it's just not. And so so you came and it sounds like you you did get married and you did have a son. Yeah. So let's, you know, we're coming to the end of the segment, and, you know, one of the things that I think is very interesting that I like to kind of end uh, end this interview on is that one of the things that you sent me was, is that you you found that, that there were nine things in your, I guess, in your evolution of understanding and also in your research because you are you know you are an editor and you're doing all kinds of things around writing so i imagine you do quite a bit of uh, research that you and you talked about the nine parts that you felt that 
what was happening now in this country and the way that our president has been handling things that you felt that there were nine things that um, that there are. And one of the things that I found was very interesting was number four. And that was your fourth idea. They both believe they have absolute power. Correct. And that, that kind of struck me. I mean, I'd like to go over the whole nine, but we're, we're starting to run out of time. But this one particularly really struck me. And then the uh, number five, they both believe that they are owed absolute loyalty. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are two things I think uh, that, that, you know, when we listen to the uh, television or we listen to speeches, I mean, these are things, these are the two things that always stick out for me. So you want to comment, why do you feel that they both believe they were, they have absolute power and that they both believe that they owe, they are owed absolutely uh, loyalty? What did you find in those areas? Well, I, I, um, the reasons for that is that they're both narcissists with delusions of grandeur. And when it comes to facts, they live on a different planet. Right, and then they constantly spread lies about what's really going on. I mean, that's what, I mean, it's, it's really interesting with this mass thing. I mean, here we are spiking and what they're saying is going to go away. What, yeah. what other, what other things did, and then again, they both punish people who are not loyal to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see that happening also. Yeah. And they uh, admire and cozy up to the world's worst dictators. Well, what would be an, and yeah, exactly, Mussolini, what, and, and Franco, and, you know, in the 30s, and today, well, we know who his friends are, Putin, and Kim, and Duterte, and Erdogan, and Salman of Saudi Arabia, you name it, it's, those it's, are his friends. It's very, very, very interesting. Well, these are some really good points that you make, you know, and it's it's, it's interesting. And I, oh, what I really feel is important about this interview more than anything is for people to get an understanding of the horrors of war and not to follow, not to follow blindly, you know, because that that's what happens. And, and in Germany, it was a little bit different when you start thinking about it because of the economics. That's why that's why it's so dangerous that we don't have a strong economic plan or an economic foundation because because dictators can come in as things are falling apart. And so, you know, we really have to be careful. Well, we've come, we've come to the end of our segment, Astrid, and I'd like to know, are there any last words that you would like to say, anything that, that, that you feel are really important that people would like to know about you? And also, do you have a website? I do not have a website. I gave that one up. <laughs> well, how about last words and let us know how... And how we can get, I guess your book is on Amazon, right? Yes, and it's called From Hitler to Trump. Right. And any last words that you'd like to say to our listening audience? Anything about the the interview? If anyone is out there who has not yet voted, make sure you do that by tomorrow and send a clear message to our dictator. Oh my goodness, Astrid! I couldn't have said it any more, any better. And like you know, like I said, I have to clarify. Of course, all any opinions given here are not necessarily the opinions of KBBF, its listeners, members, or 
women's bases. I always have to qualify that. Yes, it's very important that we vote. Well, Astrid Harper, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on Women's Spaces. I want to wish you much success. And a reminder to my uh, listeners, all the information about this interview will be on our website, www.womenspaces.com. And like Astrid said, remember, folks, vote. And if you feel insecure about your ballot, drop it off at the Register of Voters on 435 Fiscal Drive, Santa Rosa. And they have drop-off box, walk-ins, and drive-through. It's much, it can't get any better than, than we have it here in Sonoma County. A shout-out to our Director of uh, Voters, the Register of Voters, Diva Marie Proto. She's doing a great, great job. She's the county clerk reporter, assessor, and a wonderful, wonderful team. What a blessing we have that we are living in this time that we can go to the vote it feels like we're voting for this vote is is the most one of the most important votes that we have taken and just for your information uh ken and i have been doing mail-in voting now for over 10 years never a problem and always have been able to see what's happening with our ballot well, folks, that's it for our show. Thank you to Astrid Harper for talking about her book, From Hitler to Trump, and for an, and, and a sad but enlightening story and a shout-out for her courage to write this history and give us this experience. This is Elaine B. Holt. You've been listening to Women's Spaces, and I look forward to being with you the next time. Remember, our children are the future. We must never forget that. She's patient and she's waiting and she'll take you home now The woman in your life, she can wait so easily She knows everything you do because the woman in your life is you Because the woman in your life The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, November 2nd, 2020.